It's Friday, which can mean only one thing. I'm Asam, and this is The Friday Show. Looking back at another busy week in Manchester City world, I'm delighted to be joined by the big man, the boss man, Howard Hawking. How are you doing, Howard? <laughs> Fine, thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Good week? Uh, Yeah, hectic, but yeah, we're through to Wembley, so not to play with that. Strange not having you on the... Uh, on the review after the Bristol match. I've got to be honest with you. Um, no, was a missed. You were definitely, definitely missed. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you what, before we before we talk about the Bristol game, just very quickly, uh, Ryan Pearson has asked us a few times if we have any news on the, uh, on the Amazon documentary. Unfortunately, Ryan, for the moment, we haven't got any news on it, but we are trying to get somebody from Amazon uh, to come on the pod in the next sort of month or two to give us a little bit of a rundown on what that documentary is going to be like. But yeah, as soon as we know, we will definitely, uh, we'll definitely let you know. Um, right. And, Howard, uh, as someone on. on Twitter said, because obviously we're so doped up, it'll be like watching a, a series of narcos. <laughs> uh, there you go. Let's just hope they a... keep that off camera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wouldn't doping, be a... yeah. It wouldn't be a Howard Hawking moment on this podcast if he didn't talk about us being dead. So. <laughs> yeah, once a show and then we move on. Exactly. Right, well, let's move on then. Um, Bristol City, second leg of the semi-final earlier this week. Uh, how was it for you, looking back on it? One of the things that struck me before we uh, before we talk about it, one of the things that really struck me the day after uh, and I guess to a greater or a lesser extent, we were guilty of it on the review podcast as well, was that it felt strange that the night before we'd won a semi-final and we were going to Wembley, and yet all anybody seemed to want to talk about the following day was uh, was Laporte and, and transfers. And it just got me thinking how, how, how much things have changed and how much times have changed. I mean, it's a very, very recent memory for me to feel like I'd never been to a cup final. Yeah. So to suddenly be in a position where we get through to a cup final and yet it's just not even the most important thing in City World the next day just kind of felt a bit strange. And I suppose it is a testament to how far we've come. Yeah, it's fifth one, isn't it, I think now. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of caveats, isn't there? I think I think if we'd overcome Chelsea or something, obviously, you know, if the, obviously Bristol City was superb, I think, you know, for the championship side over two legs... But there was a certain inevitability about it anyway. Mm. Uh, obviously, they were about ten to one to qualify, so it was kind of expected. Yeah, take that as arrogance. But I think you know, and certainly that last minute winning the first leg changed things a bit. Uh, and of course, Carabao Cup not quite up there with the Champions League final. But yeah, it's still still Wembley, isn't it? So uh, yeah, it's not quite the same as. Uh, queuing around the block uh, the ground for a, a playoff final ticket in 99 it's uh, time certainly <laughs> time certainly have changed yeah yeah now if you look at if you look if you look at the Bristol the both the games actually but specifically the second leg um I mean you will have heard I hope you will have heard the, the review pod that we did earlier this week um we gave we've given Bristol and Lee Johnson I think it is their manager a hell of a lot of credit for for the way that they performed. Yeah. Um, for you, did it feel in that second leg like um, it was it an inevitability uh, that we would win? Or did you feel that they posed us some kind of threat? 
Uh, they didn't really pose a threat until we appeared to have to tie Theo you know, wrapped up. I did feel... I mean, firstly, I still think some of our worst performances have all come in this competition. Mm. And yet here we are at Wembley. Hmm. Uh, so we've discussed in the past the intensity of players and maybe this just doesn't quite mean as much to them. But I did see it step up a bit from the first leg. Uh, still a bit confused that he chose a strong team in the second leg over the first. Maybe that's the timing of other games in the schedule. Hmm. And I still think he should have tried to absolutely blow them away in the first leg and then we wouldn't have had to worry about this at all. But I did feel it was a... It's a strange game. Sloppiness, but I felt some of the football was still as good as we've seen. You know, the domination of the ball, a bit of wastefulness again, uh, and sloppiness towards the end, really. But it was a better, much better performance than the first leg. And I felt the players... I think the players realised, obviously a strong team, but the players realised, well, actually, we can get to Wembley today. You know, it all seemed a bit distant and not unimportant yeah. in previous games. It's the Carabao Cup, whatever that is. Stupid names. Competition we probably could do without. <laughs> but, you know, it, got, it was the clunch. You know, we got to the clunch now. You get to Wembley if you win this game or even draw it. So I did see uh, a step up in performance. Okay. Do you think he chose a stronger team as a reaction to the way that they had performed in the first leg the yeah. way that Bristol had performed in the first leg. So do you think they, in a way, maybe didn't give them enough respect or enough credit in the first leg and he's addressed that in the second? Uh, yeah, I think, to be honest, yeah, I wouldn't say disrespectful in a way because, yeah, look at that team we did put out in the first leg. It was more than good enough. Mm. I think he was a bit, maybe he was a bit let down that, you know, the lack of rhythm when he makes changes as is an age-old problem for us. Uh, so I wouldn't say it's disrespect, but I think I do think it was definitely a reaction. Uh, but again, for him, you know, he realises this could be my first cup final uh, with City. Uh, so the ante's been upped a bit. So, But yeah, yeah. I, I do think uh, their performance was a bit of an eye-opener for him. So I think he realises okay. that, you know, the level of performances teams can put in, you know, further down the ladder. Um, now, if you look at our sort of semi-recent form, one of the on a on a very basic level, on a layman's level, we seem to be conceding more goals and scoring less goals. Is that should that be a cause for concern? Uh, yeah, the lack of yeah. Really, you want to run a clean sheets, don't you? That's the, the sign of a top team. And we've not done it now. I don't know, six or seven games. Mm. We still see it was a bit a bit different. It wasn't, you know, everyone's going on John Stone's mistakes. I'm not sure it was an obvious mistake. It was, you know, it was a bouncy ball and he stuck his leg out to get it away from a player, but it went into the middle. It's not the most obvious of mistakes. It's something that happens. To me, there weren't obvious mistakes, Bristol City. It was general sloppiness, especially the second goal. I think they were deep into injury time, they're winning. Obviously, they need two goals to just to take it to extra time. I just felt there was a little coast-over-the-line mentality there. Uh, and it's sloppiness more than, you know, obvious errors. or And it's concentration issue, isn't it? But, you know, yet again, it's just game after game. It's it's mental fatigue and physical fatigue. It, 
it's not a problem at the moment because it's not really hampered us, but you'd looked for a bit more solidity to return by the time the really big games come along. Mm. Um, what do you think, Sorry, Do you think it's it becoming uh, a theme? Well, it's difficult. I was going to ask you a question then, which <clears throat> I guess kind of ties into my, my answer to it. And that is that, um, do you think maybe when we talk about sloppiness these days, it's because the bar is so high when we play at our best that, you know, really, if we misplace four passes in a game, we feel that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like as as a as as a as a watcher of City all season, you go, "Oh, that's incredibly sloppy. They're a bit off their game today." But if you watch any other game of football, and I mean, you can watch Chelsea, you can watch Arsenal, you can watch United, whoever, yeah, teams do that. Yeah. all the time so i don't know it's very difficult for me to have any kind of objective insight as to whether we're you know whether we should be worried about what effectively might feel like a bit of sloppiness creeping into the play or whether in actual fact those standards that we've come to expect just aren't realistic you can't expect to go out week in week out and have a 100% pass completion rate or have all your top players play at their very best and never misplace a, a simple pass or, you know, you, you see what I'm saying, don't yeah, you? Yeah, of course. Uh, as you said before, sometimes you concede a goal and sometimes you give a ball away. I mean, John Stones at one point had the highest pass completion rate in Europe or something, 96%. Mm. That still meant he gave away, you know, <laughs> one in 20 or just under one in 20 passes. And that, that one he gives, you know, doesn't complete, could be picked on and that could be a goal. But you can't complain with a 96% pass completion rate. Yeah, uh, I think no, the... You know, Danilo just hit a ball to them, but that didn't create the goal as such. It just gave them the ball in the attacking area. And, you know, good cross, marker, Zinchenko, not really used to defending both times. So there's a spare man. It's just, you know, it's not, I don't think, it's not at this moment something to consider long-term. It'd have to really become a theme over, you know, months for it to be a, a problem. Mm. I'll tell you what I do want to talk about, though. If you want to talk about causes for concern, um, I'm a little bit worried about Stones. I, I have to be honest. I, I slightly disagree with your uh, with your assessment that that there's nothing that he could have done, or it was one. No, of no, I didn't say things. that. I just said he stuck his leg out to. It, it was to nick was, a bouncing ball away from a player. For me, it was poor defending. That ball going back into the middle in the way that it does, that's that's not good enough. I might that might sound a bit harsh, but it's a little bit not good enough. Um I, I wonder whether this two and we had this conversation last season as well. Um and I suppose if we do sign Laporte, then that will slightly um diminish it, but I do feel there's too much pressure on Stones. I do yeah. feel there's there's too much responsibility on his shoulders. Um, so, sorry to put in, so you think having three top-level defenders would be good for him? I think so, yeah, yeah. definitely. Because it I could go either way. Competition can go either way with a player. It can be, yeah, it can be welcomed by a player, the competition, or it can be taken the wrong way. Uh, but I don't think, we can't really, con we can't continue anyway with just two, you know, 
level one defenders anyway, so it's something you'd have to acknowledge. Yeah, I think I um I, my my worry not worry my thing with Stones is that I want to be able to take the pressure off him when it's not quite happening for him, um, and I feel as though because of the lack of options, that's not really possible. That Stones will play against against Cardiff this weekend again, and he'll play again against West Brom in midweek, and he'll probably play again next weekend. Um, against Burnley and I just think for uh, for a young player this sh- and he's not that young but he's young enough that I feel that you should have the option to take them out now and again particularly if you feel there's an issue with their form or do you know what I mean just sometimes yeah. just to he's come back from an injury maybe he's been rushed back a little bit yeah he's everything feels a little bit nervous everything uh, yeah. feels a little bit gnarly if he gets a game out you know, if we can take him out for West Brom because Laporte has come in and he can sit on the bench and he can watch, I think that just having that one-game perspective on the bench when you are fit, when you do want to play, it would help him. And I, yeah, I, yeah. What do you think? How how do you think he's done since he's come back from his injury? Yeah, well, there has, but there's been a, a mistake in every game, hasn't there? Yeah, I think it, as you say, it just feels a bit nervous. Could take it in the first game. It's not you'd accept that. I could take a player conceding a penalty. It happens, doesn't it? Misplaced mm. tackle. Uh, but when it's you know when it continues game by game, then it becomes an issue. Uh, a nervousness in his play. If he was left out, though, you know, there's two ways of looking at it. He has to play through it. Or if you start playing him intermittently, so to speak, that it might not help him. Uh, but. We have to have another top-level defender there. Uh, I think definitely the competition is a good thing. Uh, I can't, but you can't explain it because he was just so peerless before his injury. Uh, mm. Just imperious, if that's a better word. He was just, you know, graceful and he has to feel he's got to play naturally and not be afraid. Uh, yeah, he's not that young now, but he's still he's probably three years yeah, the mature, the pure maturity of a defender, an experienced defender, is obviously a good few years away from that. So I don't think it'd be career-defining this nervousness, but it's probably a bit of an issue right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a, a it's not for me. I don't see it as a long-term worry because he showed before his injury that he was beginning to get himself to that stage where we he was pretty peerless, um, and he did feel like a leader at the back. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's maybe the thing where I feel we've maybe lost a little bit of that leadership that he was bringing before his injury, um, as well as the mistakes. And it's maybe compounding a little bit. If you talk about us maybe conceding more and scoring less, I think maybe there's a we're less stable from back to front. And I think that we're the type of team, because of the way that we play, we need to be stable at the back, to be stable at the front, or to be at our best at the front. Is that is that a fair thing to say, actually? Yeah. No, that's fine, yeah. I wouldn't add anything else. So. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, now, look, we're through to the, uh, we're through to the final. Would you, would you pick Bravo in the final as well? <laughs> well, as a manager... Yeah, uh, it would depend what I've said as a as a manager already. 
you know, but I'm, I would assume he's been promised this cup. So if I've said that as a manager earlier, then yeah, he must be picked. Okay. It's the same. We're going through the same routine again, aren't we, Caballero? So, but I assume you have to give, you have to give players like you know, secondary players, backup players, certain incentives. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And no, this is, the, I mean, no one would have complained at the beginning of, this, of the Carabao Cup run if Pep Guardiola had said to Bravo, you're the goalkeeper for this run, for this cup, however far we go, as long as you're fit. No one would have complained about that. So it, it's a bit churlish now to say we've got to uh, to Wembley and say, well, no, we've got to put our strongest team out. If he's made a promise, he, had, you know, he has to keep to it, I'm afraid, so... And we wouldn't even be in the cup if it wasn't for him. So it's not as if he's not, you know, done his part. If he weren't playing against Wolves, we'd be out now. So, so it's not, you know, he's earned his play. He's earned the right to to start in that final. And let's be honest, apart irrelevant of what I think, it's pretty certain he will be starting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we know who our opponents in the final will be. It's going yeah. to be a. Uh, Arsene Wenger's Arsenal. Thoughts on that, Howard? Well, in theory, you'd want them over Chelsea, but our record against Chelsea is probably better in big games, I would reckon. Arsenal's record at Wembley's pretty much perfect, I think, recently. It's what he does to keep himself in the job. Uh, but Pep's won nine out of his ten domestic cup finals, so something's got to give. It, to be honest, it's who I prefer out of the, the other two semi-finalists, but... Uh, let's not assume it's going to be a walkover because it isn't. So, no, it'd be I don't interesting. Think... Uh, and of course, they may have. I think they're struggling now over Obama Yang. Uh, but yeah, they may have a couple of new signings in there by then. We'll have to wait and see about that. If they don't, I mean, they, they seem they seem a bit released since uh, Sanchez has gone. Uh, yeah, there's just a better mood, a bit of freedom with the players. But if you look at the players as it stands now, obviously our team's far superior. Yeah, I mean, I I think that I think that we have the better players and and the better manager. It goes without saying. And to be honest, the amount of shit that Arsene Wenger has chatted about our club, we really owe <laughs> him and and owe them. And you know, I mean, the yep. Sanchez thing in in the summer is down to them. Yeah. It's down to it's down to how how appallingly badly Arsenal are run uh, that they end up left with Sanchez when that window closes. And I, I don't know, I just, I really can't be arsed with them at all. So I'm kind of glad it's Arsenal and I hope that we absolutely slap the living shit out of them yeah. because I think that they will probably deserve it. Um, okay, so obviously after the semi-final, um, the news week has Sorry, been dominated. I've just remembered, didn't we play Liverpool just after we beat them in the cup final? And now we play Arsenal, don't we, after we play them in the cup final, so... Yes, we, in on the Thursday night. Uh, yeah, we do indeed, and then we play Chelsea on the Sunday, just... So it would yeah, be so, nice if uh, we win the cup and then go to... <laughs> and then go to uh, the Emirates to play them, so... Always nice to rub it in, isn't it, like we did with Liverpool, so... Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, look, the rest of the week's been kind of been dominated by, by transfers. We touched upon the, uh, upon the Laporte, I think... Before we listen to Sid, I spoke to Sid Lowe earlier um, earlier this week about his thoughts on on the transfer. Before we hear what what he had to say, um, what are your thoughts 
on that transfer. Firstly, do you think it's a good idea to bring a centre-half in? Well, yeah. <laughs> That's a no-brainer. We need to bring a centre-half in. Uh, Timing-wise, quite... Yeah, what's been coming out of City, it's quite clever. Uh, I think... The, yeah, I, I've, I've become paranoid of now about numbers when obviously we don't we don't care. Yeah, you know, the hyperinflation of fees now. Uh I do think it's strange that we've triggered the release fee so early, you know, so readily if we have done. But then again, there's probably no other way of getting him. Uh, so if that's the player we want, you do it. Just like Liverpool with Van Dijk. Do you want that player? Yes. Why? Well, that's what you'll have to pay. And in the end, they went, well, right, we'll best, we'll best pay it then. Uh, yeah, I prefer summer transfers, as you well know, I might have said. But at least it gives time to bed in. And it looks like City are trying to beat further inflation in the summer market obviously it probably don't if he's got a, a release fee then it doesn't really a release clause it doesn't really matter with him you know but if we're getting Fred in as well or someone else then uh, it gives them time to bed in but I don't think we can expect too much of them in the second half of the season because it's it's hard hard to integrate yourself into a club in the middle of a season so. yeah I, uh, I I completely agree I, I, I think that I mean it's difficult because I don't want to say if you pay when you're paying 65 million euros for a player, <laughs> you'd expect the player to be of sufficient quality that yeah. they make some impact when they come in. Um, so I'm not going to say you know you won't see anything until next season, but I think there will be some period of adaptation, and and as we'll hear from from Sidlow in a moment, um, the way that Bilbao play is not the way that Guardiola plays and the way that City play. And Laporte does spend an awful lot of time defending on the edge of his own area at Bilbao. Yeah. And it will be very different defending at City. So um, although he's very, very, very highly rated player and I'm super excited about the transfer, um, <clears throat> I do think we need to temper that a little bit with the idea that he's coming to a new country. There will be a period of, adaptation um yeah but again you know apparently he's got a wonderful left foot uh it, the the whole thing with Laporte where he's been so highly rated for so long is because he's so comfortable on the ball that yeah. type of stuff so it's ball carrier as well into so you can see him bringing it out like Stones does but it also gives us the option of course the will fit of reverting to back three at times so be interesting to see if we go back to that in the future Absolutely, absolutely, and also there, there is the. Um, I do think, in general, the left hand side of the team yeah. needs to be stronger, and I think that having a player like Laporte, who has played nominally as a left back before, and certainly is very, very comfortable, um, and again, it's something that Sid will have, has touched touches upon is he's very comfortable. Um, covering the fullbacks on both sides, but particularly on the left-hand side, yeah, um, and that's a big, big thing for for the way for the way in which we for the way in which we play. Um, from just from your side, Howard, before we hear from Sid, any uh, any regrets on the fact that having missed out on Sanchez, we're not going for an attacking player. Any any kind of lingering feeling that. That's the move that we should be making. Uh, well, it depends who we've. Uh, uh, no, not really. I don't. 
Depends who's available, and Sanchez was a one-off, an outlier, wasn't it? I don't want to just signing someone short-term. I think, you know, struggling for goals, I think we scored about 85 this season or something. Jesus, Jesus is close to coming back. If the deal was there, if the player, I assume they've identified someone else now. They've got their mind. And that player is almost certainly not going to be available. So, yeah. I don't want to sign someone for the sake of it. Uh, let's let's identify who we want and let's go for them when we can. And that's probably going to be summer, isn't it? So, mm. uh, with the World uh, Cup, that poses its own problems, uh, time constraints. But no, it's not the end of the world. Sanchez was the only one we wanted in this window, wasn't it? So, if that's not happened, and we both know of rumours that were they were quite relaxed about it because they've identified someone else they're confident about so we'll, we'll probably see in the summer but <laughs> <laughs> the name's so ridiculous that we can't name it anyway so oh Howard you're gonna get so much stick on Twitter now from people going who is it who is it who is it well they won't um, believe me anyway and no it's not I'm Messi not, <laughs> yeah, it's not, not Messi anything. it's not Ronaldo no I'm not saying anything well listen um Earlier this week, I was lucky enough to talk to Sid Lowe and get his thoughts on Amrit Laporte for our review pod on the 9320 player, which is our membership stroke subscription service, which costs £4 a month, and you get tons of uh, City-related podcasts every month. Um, And we're going to splice that in now, so if you just bear with us, you're going to listen to me talking to Sid Lowe about Amrit Laporte, and then we will come back, and me and Howard will look forward to the FA Cup game against Cardiff this weekend. So this is me talking to Sid. Welcome back. I'm delighted now to be joined by Guardian journalist Sid Lowe. Welcome, Sid. Hello. How are you doing? Very good. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, so listen, uh, as you know, City are being heavily linked with a move for Americ Laporte from Bilbao. Um, before we talk about the transfer itself, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the player. Um what what are his sort of what are his strongest weakest attributes as a centre half? Well, I think I mean I think in a way you you can look at him and you can see I think you can be, see the beginnings of a of a Guardiola player. Um, I think I mean this in truth this hasn't been a particularly great season for him. I think Athletic Bilbao have not been in in particularly good shape. Of course, Ernesto Valverde, the coach, left in the summer. It's now Kukuzi under in charge. I think that possibly has had an impact. Uh, I think throughout the side, it doesn't entirely convince him. His performances haven't been the best, but there's no doubt that, uh, I believe he's only 23 still, you know, there's no doubt that there's there's, there's a player there and there's a player that people have been uh, interested in for quite a while. I mean, you know, Guardiola tried to to get him in 2016. Um, He's a player that, other clubs in Spain have looked at Barcelona, have looked at him. Real Madrid have, have certainly kept an eye on him as well. But, but I think when you when you look at him, you say, what is it that that he brings at Guardiola? We want. I mean, first of all, he's he's very steady. Um, he covers very well round round the back of the two fullbacks. Uh, he's a left-footed player who can bring the ball out under control. He plays it reasonably well. Obviously, you know, I mean, we we tend to obsess ourselves a bit with this when we talk about Guardiola. He he wants ball-playing players, even you know, even with the goalkeeper. Um, mm-hmm. But that that. That certainly is a key element to this, and and I think under the right guidance, I think I think we're talking about someone who 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 could be a very very good player indeed. And, and as I say, until this season, certainly the last couple of seasons, last eighteen months or so before this season, um, I, I think you really would point it in and say, you know, this is this is one of the best centre backs in Spain. 
In terms of in terms of the move in 2016, the fact that it broke down, any ideas why that broke down? And just from a, a wider point of view, why he's been at Bilbao for, for quite so long? Because as you say, he's a player who has been linked with Barcelona and Real Madrid heavily in the past. He's been highly rated. I mean, it's funny, he's, he's what, 23, 24, but it feels like he's been around forever. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. But and I think, I think in a way, answering that probably obliges us to kind of look at it from a from the perspective of, athlete, of, of athletic um mm-hmm. who are uh, obviously everybody knows that they're a unique club they're a club that play only players formed in the Basque country so there's a even obviously you know this is a french player but he played in the club when he was when he was young that had a had an agreement with with uh athletic Bilbao, so he's counted as having been formed as a footballer in the Basque country um he why didn't it happen um well one of the reasons why it didn't happen i think is that you have a club like athletic bilbao that because of that special identity actually is is economically quite powerful and can pay its players really quite well so so there isn't the if you like the the immediate need to go early the other thing is that because of that special identity because of their recognition that when they go into the market they go into the mar- in the market of scarcity because they can only buy certain players and it's a very limited pool comparatively mm-hmm. and so that makes them extremely reluctant to lose players. So if you look at the big players who've left, and Herrera left because Manchester United paid the buyout clause, uh, Javi Martinez left because Bayern Munich paid the buyout clause. And also then from the emotional point of view of the players, to leave Athletic Bilbao, it does have to be to be a very big, it does have to be to a very big club. You know, it really does. You know, it has to be to match the economic pretensions. It has to be to act uh, to, to match the sense of a big club. Now, Athletic Bilbao, in terms of what they win, you know, they've won one trophy, which is a Super Cup, in 30 years. But but in terms of what they win, they may not be a big club. But within a, a kind of a Spanish context and with the, within the context of, of the Basque country and Biscay in particular, the province that, 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 that Bilbao is in, this is a genuinely a big institution. So it's not that easy to take a player away from there. And it's not that easy for players to to kind of want to leave because they build very heavily and they work very hard on creating at youth team level, not just good players, of course, but creating the idea of, 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 of belonging and, and of a very, very deep identity. So, and, and, and that, what that means is I think it, that leaving is almost seen as, as kind of worse than leaving other clubs. And that I think in some cases is almost unfair because it creates a pressure on players that can be more uncomfortable than if, say, a you know a 21, 22 year old uh, outstanding centre back at I don't know Cadiz or at um, you know Faragosta. Well, I'm saying second division beat second division teams now, but, but you know or Getafe or Leganes or something. Those players would go. Athletic, it is different. There's no two ways about that. It's different. Um, so that's one of the reasons. The other one, I, I suppose, is that when Guardiola came for him in, in 2016, he would have been I don't know if he turned 22 yet. I think he was still 21, but he might have turned 22. Um, he was, I think, reluctant to take the risk. I thought he knew that, that at that age there was still time to develop. There was obviously the the ambition and the expectation, and I think the optimism that that he would continue to develop and therefore continue to be a good player. So he it wasn't necessarily a case of listen, if you don't go now, this never happens. Although of course there was a risk in that, because um, certainly it seems that Chicky Stein was really really annoyed. That, that at the very last minute this this deal broke down. He signed a contract at Athletic at that time worth about four and a half million euros, I think it was. Now, obviously, City would have paid him significantly more than that. I think the figure was in the region of seven or eight million euros, although I must confess I'm talking off the top of my head now. Uh, I don't remember exactly what the figure was. So, mm-hmm. obviously, the money would have been good and better to have left, but the money to stay was very, very good indeed, particularly in a Spanish context. And I think there was just a sense of, right, there will be time. So he signs a new deal in which the buyout clause goes up to 65 million euros. And that, I think, is another element in this. 
So the buyout clause went to a very high fee, but not the kind of fee that was impossible. In other words, Athletic were, were essentially saying, okay, we'll put it at a level where if a, if a club comes in and the offer really is good, we're not going to get in your way, not least because legally we won't be able to. Um, and, and so I think there was, a, there was a certain element of kind of accommodation between player and club at that point in which he didn't go. Um, so why hasn't he gone? I guess because the one really, really firm bid for him came from Manchester City. And at that point, he decided that it was that it was worth staying. And, and as I say, at the risk of City never coming back. But of course, I suppose, you, know, you look at it now and say, well, 18 months on, it's been kind of vindicated because they have come back. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, do you think he can flourish in the Premier League? And I guess what I mean by that is, I guess in the medium to long term, you would hope that he would just because of his potential. But in the short term, is he a player that you feel can come in and make a difference immediately? Or do you expect a period of adaptation? Well, I mean, my guess, and, and obviously, you know, this is, this is a guess largely from the outside. And my guess is that Guardiola will, will not throw him straight into the starting 11 and want him to be the, you know, the, the starting centre-back for the rest of this season, you know, every single week. That's not going to happen. So I think, I think there will necessarily be an adaptation period. Obviously, it provides cover should, you know, should there be an injury for, for company or should there be you know, con- continued kind of lack of trust in, in, in Mangala. But I would imagine that, that, that Otamendi and Stones will continue to be the, the, the first choice partnership um, I, I guess in a way Stones is almost a good example isn't he of the kind of process that, that, that Laporte could go could go through because because you know there were doubts about Stones at first you know is this bringing the ball out thing is it too risky is it problematic well one thing you know if you're a defender who's bringing the ball out is that Guardiola will continue to insist that you do it and support you for doing it and will take the responsibility on for when you cock it up mm. now Obviously, that doesn't necessarily make it easy to live with because you know if you make a terrible mistake and the other team scores and everybody's having a go at you and maybe your own fans are thinking, crikey, this guy's not that good. Um, but if you've got a manager who's saying, no, listen, you listen to me, we do it my way, it'll eventually happen. And I, and I, think, that, I think that means that, that you can kind of believe in a long-term um, process even if the short-term process looks absolutely horrific, you know, even yeah. if you do make terrible mistakes, you think this is, this is really awful. So I think he has the quality for it. I think he has the intelligence for it. I think he has the manager for it. But of course, that's not to, not to say that, you know, every defender that, that Pep Guardiola has ever signed because he sees something in them has been a huge success. I mean, you know, the most famous example of that was, was Chigunski at Barcelona, who was absolutely disastrous. But what's curious <laughs> about Chigunski is he was disastrous and everybody said it's because Guardiola wanted this ball-playing defender and he, yeah, he's a lovely footballer and stuff, but but he can't defend to save his life. But actually, the moment that Guardiola gave up on him, um, and and this is you know, and this, this says quite a lot about Guardiola. The moment that Guardiola gave up on him wasn't because of these defensive mistakes. It was because one day he played this long ball. I think it was away at Sevilla. He played a long ball looking for Henri when Guardiola had told him, "Do not play that pass. The pass is <laughs> this one or this one. Do not play that long one." And so and so you know. I suppose the lesson there for Laporte is listen and do what he says. Um, yeah. But you know that that process. I think it will be a process, and I, I, my suspicion. But obviously, you know, I just don't know what Guardiola will eventually decide. My suspicion is that 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 he won't expect Laporte to be brilliant straight away. And I must admit, there's a little bit of me that wonders why he's done it now and not waited to the summer. But I guess it's because he's concerned about injuries uh, to other players, and he just wants to make absolutely certain that he has a backup between now and the end of the season, not, not least, of course, because, because, you know, while the, while the league title is virtually won, you know, the Champions, the Champions League comes, I think, quite clearly into focus now. Yeah, I think with the injuries that, um, the injury issues that, that Vinny has, um, I think bringing another player in was, I think it's a priority because, 
the, yes, you're right. The Premier League is is looks like it, it's going to be um, wrapped up, but to rotate Stones and Otamendi can't play three times a week. I don't think I think exactly. it's too much pressure. Yeah, absolutely, on them. and, and yeah. Mangala's not the guy to come in when uh, when one of those two needs to be rotated. Hey, just in terms of Stones and Otamendi, which of those two can you see naturally becoming Laporte's partner? Well, I mean, I don't know enough about Stones in terms of in terms of kind of um, what do you call it in English? Um, in Spanish, they kind of refer to it as hierarchy. You know, that ability to kind of impose a leadership, I suppose, mm. uh, for one of a you know for one of a more complex phrase. But but that ability to kind of impose upon your uh, your central defensive partner to, to kind of carry them through the game to to have the maybe at times a touch of nastiness, a touch of aggression. I I genuinely just don't know enough about Stones. To, to to kind of make a call on whether whether Stones can do that with Laporte to start with. Now Laporte has certainly has the character at the moment, but obviously you're asking a player to go into a different team in a different league in a different language. And so in the short term, I guess you would suggest Otamendi, who A, of course, linguistically can communicate with him, and B is is kind of a bigger, tougher um character than Stones. But as I say, I say that without sufficient knowledge of Stones to 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 be able to tell you whether that would be the case. My guess is that certainly anyway, that that, that Guardiola will want uh, a player alongside Laporte who can be supportive of him as well as just play alongside him. Gotcha. Um the last one on his kind of abilities is attributes. How quick is Laporte? Because it's a question that I've I've been asked a lot today. Um you know what? That's one of those questions where I, I'm not actually convinced I can give you an answer. By which <laughs> okay. I mean, by which I mean, I can't remember occasions where he's been outrun, right? And I thought to myself, "Crikey, he's slow." But I, I can't really think of too many occasions when I thought he's incredibly quick. This guy, you know. So, mm. so I, I, I mean, because as I said earlier on, one of the things he does well is he's kind of cut across from the centre back position to to tidy up the time between the behind the two fullbacks when, when someone goes beyond that line and occasionally to tidy up for, for the other central back, central centre back as well. But, you know, that, I think that's much more about reading the game and understanding the speed and, you know, at the risk of kind of the risk of drawing ludicrous parallels. I mean, I sort of look back and I kind of, I kind of think a little bit of someone like, I don't know, someone like Alan Hansen, maybe. You know, that you looked at and Mark Lawrenson was the fast for the two centre-backs in that Liverpool team. But yeah. Hanson was the one that made all the challenges and did all the sweeping up behind. And I think it was because he saw it early rather than because he was necessarily super quick to get there. Um, so, so, maybe, so maybe in a way the, the answer is perhaps it might well be that his speed doesn't matter. Though, although, I, you know, the way that Guardiola wants his teams to play very high and have, have the ability to recover which is something that actually Athletic Bilbao haven't always done. They did it a bit with Valverde, but they, they would sit much, much deeper. So he's going to be presented with a different type of defending. Um, and, and, and I think that obviously will be part of this, this adaptation process. But you know what? Off the top of my head, despite having watched a lot of him, I'm not sure I could tell you that he's especially fast, but I certainly wouldn't say, oh, he gets outrun too often. So, so, mm. so on the face of it, at least, it's not problematic on the face of it. Yeah, I think it will, as you say, I think it does come down to when he gets dropped into that Guardiola system where he is defending with 40, 50 yards of pitch behind and him. And having to turn back the goal, yeah. Yeah, that's when we'll know, that's when we'll know. I mean, um, Gerard okay. Piquet is a great example of this. Gerard Piquet, um, 
talking about the difference between between being at Manchester United. Admittedly, at United, he didn't play a huge amount, but but you know, being at United or being anywhere else, being at Saragossa, although admittedly at Saragossa, he largely played as a central a central midfielder. Um, but but that idea that at Barcelona, the problem is at Barcelona, you don't you don't defend as often in terms of some of the stuff that we normally traditionally associate with defenders. Except, but when you do, it's normally being turned and heading back towards your own goal. And, and is normally being exposed, and, and obviously that's a different type of quality. Now, now you know, I think if we've learned anything from Guardiola, it's that he knows what he's doing, uh, and and if he's buying a player, um, he it will be a player that he believes can fit in the system because not only does Guardiola know what he's doing, but he is, as we all know, incredibly um, entrenched in his ideas in in the sense that he has a very clear view of how he wants to play. He's very. He's very committed to that way of playing, and he won't be buying a player to try and do something different. You know, he will he will be a player with a very clear sense of he needs to be able to do it in this particular way. I mean, you know, for example, take I don't know Diego Godina, Atletico Madrid, brilliant defender, but Atletico play deep and they protect their back four. Would Diego Godin be be good enough for for a Man City side that plays very high and gets turned? And you know, when it does get get have get in a position where it has to defend is turned, would Godin be able to do that? The answer is probably not, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, okay, what's the what's the current state of the transfer? Is it imminent, or is it something that you expect to drag out until the end of the window? Well, there's a bit of me that, that, that in, in situations like this, it's very difficult to. Um, it's, it's kind of in a way, it's difficult to understand why it takes any time at all. Because of course, what Spanish clubs have um, by law, which puts them at an enormous disadvantage. Is, is buyout clauses. Every player yeah. has a buyout clause. Now, obviously, some players in England, when they have unilaterally or as part of negotiation for negotiating a new deal, when they have put a buyout clause in, those players have buyout clauses too. But in Spain, everyone has a formal buyout clause. You know, not an agreement with their club as such. It's this is your official value. Now, obviously, the buyout clauses are always set ludicrously high, and in a way, they're a deterrent. Like Cristiano Ronaldo's, I think, is is a billion euros, and you know, obviously, no one's ever going to pay that. But 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 most clubs the the buyout clause has to be associated with the with a salary up to a point and it's part of the negotiations. But but you know it's fixed. And so by that I mean that when there is a buyout clause, in a way there's no need for this to get, take any time because you literally just turn up and say, here's the money we're taking your player, as we yeah. saw with with Neymar in the summer, even if that club doesn't want to sell. Now um, this has been reported on two of the biggest Spanish radio stations. I guess what what may be holding up now is 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 deciding, you know, Laporte deciding whether he actually wants to do this. So in other words, you know, City say, we will pay the buyout clause. There will be no negotiations with, with Athletic. There will be no problems. There's no arguments here. you coming. So maybe you need him to decide for sure. The other option, and it's something that's been suggested, um, was suggested, uh, I think, first heard someone mention it last night, um, is that, that Manchester City is kind of a gesture of, of good faith. will say to Athletic Bilbao, we'll pay you the 65 million euros of his buyout clause and a bit more. Um, you know, and we can call it formation rights. You know, the the for forming players, what do you call that in English? Youth development rights, I suppose it's probably yeah. called. Um, then, and, and you know, as a way of doing this the right way, and Athletic would fundamentally be satisfied with with that amount of money. And I think it wouldn't be, it wouldn't feel like they'd been kind of. It wouldn't feel like they'd been played in the way that they were feeling when Kepa looked like he was about to sign for Real Madrid, which, of course, broke down at the last minute. It wouldn't feel, uh, I think, as bitter as when Javi Martinez went to went to Bayern Munich. And in part, you know what, there's a little bit of me that wonders if this was part of the negotiations when Guardiola first came for Laporte a couple of years ago, that Laporte said to Athletic, listen, 
Um, I don't want to close the door to this uh, completely. And he's been quite upfront with them. And I just wonder if they said, okay, we'll set it at this. And then there won't be an argument. So maybe, maybe there's some detail that needs sorting out then. But, but my suspicion or, uh, you know, in, weird things happen in football and deals break down for all sorts of reasons and people change their mind. But my suspicion is that there's no real reason now for this to, to take very much longer because it, in a way, as I say, because of the buyout clause, it's, it's, it's kind of open and shut. Mm. Um, how does, if you look at his valuation, I think the buyout clause is 65 million euros. Yeah. If you, if you yeah, compare right. that to, um, how does he compare to Virgil van Dijk as a player and how do you compare the fees and who do you think got the better deal? Well, in a way, you're asking the wrong person because I simply don't know enough about Virgil van Dijk, to be honest with you. Um, but certainly certainly one thing um, that, and I, I, I actually spoke to, to an agent here about this and, and we kind of had quite a long conversation about it in Spain because I sort of said, you know, the van Dijk thing is, is curious to me because, um, because Spanish clubs have buyout clauses. And so you look at van Dijk and at 75 million, you know, I genuinely thought, you know, I could, I could write a list of six or seven centre-backs in Spain who are as good who, because they've got buyout clauses, you know you don't have to spend that much. You just go and get them. Yeah. Now, obviously, the player has to want to go. So, for example, one of these names that I threw in was, well, you know, Samuel Mtuti, Mtuti at Barcelona. I think his buyout clause is only 40 million euros. It is. And he's brilliant. And you say, right, 40 million euros, no pissing about. Here's your money. Take the player. Now, of course, you need that player to want to go because he can still say no, as, of mm. course, City found with Laporte uh, 18 months ago. Um so, so that we had this kind of conversation. So, you know, I could name six or seven players who are, who is, you know, who who kind of would be roughly a, a similar sort of deal. And as I say, I say this without knowing enough about enough about Van Dijk, and it might be that he's absolutely brilliant, and it might be that he's just completely perfect for Liverpool. But one of the players that, that of course, came up in this conversation was Laporte, and even at sixty-five million, which is a reasonably high buyout clause, for you know, he's a player you would go and sign. And I mean, Jimenez at Atletico Madrid is another one. His buyout clause, I think, he's is as low as 35 or 40. You know, another mm. player, you go, pay it because you don't even have to negotiate. You don't have to argue. You just go, wallop, here's the money. We're, we're taking him. Um, so in that sense, look, given how mad the market is, this doesn't feel um, particularly over the top to me. Now, admittedly, it does feel over the top. It feels absolutely ludicrous to pay this much money for a, for a 23-year-old centre-back. But given the way the market's moved uh, and, and, and the fact that we, I think we have to kind of readjust everything now, this feels like a, a, a relatively rational piece of business. Um, you know, as I say, in terms of a direct, direct kind of correlation to Van Dyke, I don't know. But of course, Van Dyke, in a way, kind of sets the sort of he almost sets the bar, doesn't he, for centre backs? Yeah. And and Laporte comes in under it. So difference is, I guess, that Van Dyke goes in straight away, leads straight away, is in a team right from the start. Um, maybe you get fewer years out of them, but maybe you get him kind of in and up and running quicker. That's that's I suppose one advantage that that you have with him. True. Although, to be fair, Laporte's got a lot of Champions League and Europa League experience, yeah. hasn't he? Because he has done Bilbao campaigns in those competitions. I'm yes, he has. That. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, obviously, look, the, the, the thing, of course, is that, that experience in a way, I mean, I think we sometimes I think we sometimes make the mistake of looking at seeing experience as purely synonymous with age. And I think the point you make is important one. He has played European competition and quite a lot of it. He's played a lot of first division games and quite a lot of it. That said, of course, the, you, you, you're then taking a player into a different type of experience when you're taking them to a different league, a different club, a different way of playing. So, and, and curiously as well, you know, a different way of playing from Athletic to to Man City, but also a different way of playing, obviously, from Spain to England. And, and actually, Man City almost don't fit in the English style. So he's going to have this kind of this dual process, I think, which is learning how City play 
and also learning how oppositions play. And, and that, <laughs> you know, that opposition will, will be, without any doubt, different to, to, to the way that he's seen some teams play in Spain. That said, everyone always says it in Spain, and it's partly cliche, but there's a kernel of truth in it. Athletic Bilbao have always been, if you like, almost the kind of the most British of, of Spanish clubs in terms of style and, and identity and the way that fans respond. And, you know, even things like, you know, it rains more there, the pitches are heavier, you know, it, it, it then tends to be softer. So, so I think, I think in that sense, you know, it, it, it is going to be a difficult process, but I, I think he probably has the, 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 the manager, uh, the support network and the intelligence to, to adapt to it. Excellent. Uh, finally, it would be remiss of me to uh, not ask you about Girona and Pablo Maffeo mm. before I let you go, because I know you did a piece in The Guardian about um, about Girona last weekend as well. Um, yeah. Question on Maffeo, because, I mean, I loved him last season uh, and really was really surprised when he went out on loan because it just felt, he felt like he had the talent to come and be Walker's understudy and and maybe even challenge him. Um, having watched him a, a little bit closer quarters, do you think he has that ability to come back and play for City or do you think he's destined to stay at Girona? I mean, I I personally think he's he's been very, very good indeed this season. And I think one of the interesting things, obviously when everyone really kind of Set up and took notice of him um, was was when he plays against uh, when he plays against Messi and he man marks. Um, but but actually on, on one level I think I think that's kind of only half the story and I think that that in itself is is interesting because Girona this year who, who incidentally by the way you know the the, the Manchester City impact on Girona has actually been pretty limited so far you know Pablo Maffeo is the only one that's playing with any regularity of, of the loanies for example you know it's not like it's not like the support from City has seen them go and spend a lot of money either yeah. uh, admittedly it's seen them get players cheaper and they and they, they, they help to fill out the squad and so on and and, and certainly there's been I think a, an exchange of ideas and, and a kind of su- the support of the, the expertise from the City group but but I don't think we've seen the impact yet on 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 Girona as a team from City's ownership. I mean, bear in mind the actual ownership, even though the relationship goes back much further, the ownership is 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 a relatively recent thing. I think it was finally closed off in late September, early October. Um, but I I, th- I think I think it's interesting because you know he got spot noticed a lot with that that game against against Leo Messi and he followed him around all all over the pitch. But actually his function has been different for for the immense majority of the season, and that that really is a kind of a, a one off. And I actually think it's a one off that they probably won't won't do again. Um, Girona have played a very clear 3-5-2 this year. Um, or maybe even you could call it kind of a 3-4-2-1. But, but in any case, it's two wing-backs. Um, and, and obviously one of them is, is, is Pablo Marcelo. And it's two wing-backs who really do play as wing-backs. It's not just an excuse to play five at the back. It's not just an extra defender. It's not just, you know, three centre-backs yeah. and two full-backs. And they press very, very high. And, and and I've seen quite a lot of them this year. And because this is so different, it's really stood out in Spain. I mean, it's not especially revolutionary, but but no one else really does it. And yeah. the wing-backs are a really, really key part of that. Um, and they play a very quick early diagonal ball to the two wing-backs who effectively almost play at the very, very top of the pitch a lot of the time. Um, and so you have this game where everyone notices Pablo Marcel against Messi because he's following him everywhere. But actually what characterizes him much more, I think, of the other performances when he's pushed and he's run at people and he's created chances and he's had the energy then to, to defend when he's been called upon to do it as well. Um, so, for example, if you're going to take a game that says, well, you know, what do you think of Pablo Maffeo? You say, well, watch the Real Madrid game. Don't watch the Barcelona game, even though okay. the Barcelona game is the one everyone talks about. Um, 
and, and I think he's been very good indeed. Whether that's applicable to to City next season and him being a starter, obviously given you know given given the expenditure on on fullbacks and given what they've brought in, but you you would guess maybe not. But certainly he 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 would be a, a valuable squad player. It might well be that they decide look keep him with Girona. Why? Because Girona, of course, given this relationship. Uh, is a club that you can kind of control up to a point. You know, you can keep a very close eye on him. You know that nothing's going to be done against your wishes. You know that you can keep the player kind of, you know, um, following a style of football that, that that you like and that you have some sort of input into that as well. So, so it might well be that there's a temptation to keep him there for another year. But I, I think, personally, I think he would be ready to come back. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, if City brought him back in the summer. Obviously, from Jonah's point of view, they'll probably be thinking, well, let's hope that City think that, that he needs an extra year. Or if they are going to take him back, let's hope that City give us someone else. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a fair shot. I just, to be honest, uh, having watched Danilo, who, who's done okay when he's played for City, I think Maffeo's a better player. Um, certainly as a, as a right-back, I think he's a better right-back. So... I kind of look mm. at that and just feel a little bit like if there is a buyer for Danilo this summer, um, yeah, You'd take it. Yeah, I'd take. I mean, it I suppose the one thing, back. the one, the one thing might be that whether whether Guardiola thinks that that there's a there's a risk with with um, there's kind of a physical risk. You know, obviously Danilo is much much bigger than Pablo Maceo. You know, he's, he's 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 probably not as actually he probably is as quick actually, but he's he's much much bigger and and, and it may well be that Guardiola thinks you know. A fullback in the Premier League with 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 so little height is potentially problematic. I, I, don't, I don't know what you think about that. And it, I, it wouldn't it wouldn't be, in my opinion, it wouldn't be an enormous leap. Although this is Guardiola we're talking about, but it wouldn't be an enormous leap, for example, in a team in a team that plays four two three one for him to be the right hand side of, the, of that three behind the forward as well. Not an enormous leap, although as I say, with with Guardiola, you would expect it much more likely to to, to be at the back than at the top of the pitch. Interesting. So you think he's got the ability to play a little bit further forward as well? I think he has. What I don't think he has is is the. I mean, obviously, look when you talk about the, the creative players at the front for City, and you start talking about De Bruyne and Silver, and you know, you, you, you sort of look at it and think, well, all right, okay, he's a good player, <laughs> but we're not, we're not, you know, we're not talking about that kind of level. Yeah. Um, so, so I, while I think he's the kind of player who playing in that role could be good for someone, as I say, for for. For Guardiola and for City, uh, I, I, I do have great doubts, but I, I think he's I think he's a good footballer. Welcome back. That was me talking to Sidlow about Emmerich Laporte. Howard, are you excited hearing what Sid has to say about him? Yeah, I love listening to Sid anyway. Probably listen to him for hours. Uh, but yeah, what of it generally as well? It's uh, yeah, we we both. Why is he not? Why is he not a seasoned international? Uh, but. That's the whim of a manager. He's still young, and he's been in a a side that's not really reached the heights as it recently. Uh, but yeah, he seems like an elegant player, and we have to redefine what we think of defenders. No one, yeah, no one wants a Johnny Evans. It seems, but Johnny Evans is more of a pure defender, isn't it? But that's yeah, the Pep defender is a different beast altogether, and it's uh, yeah, someone who's gonna you know another John Stones in a way, an elegant player. Who can break the lines? Uh, class, classy left footer, aerial threat. Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, and you pay what pay what you have to pay to get him. So excellent. Now look, um, we play Cardiff in the uh, in the FA Cup on Sunday. Now, my first question: I've seen a lot of shouts this week. Weirdly enough, 
for a rotated team on the basis that we play West Brom next Wednesday. Wednesday, Now, bearing in mind the lead that we've got in the Premier League, I'm presuming that you're on the same idea as me, which is that absolutely the strongest team possible plays on Sunday. Yeah. But I'm not sure he... I'm not sure Guardiola will do the same. I don't know. It's weird. I don't... Also, the issue, what will Cardiff do? Uh, so the third in the league, I, I think, at the moment. So they're within touching distance of automatic promotion. But they're on a bit of a... The results haven't been the best. I'm sure they were higher than that uh, a month or so ago. Results have been up and down, to be honest. Uh, lovely Neil Warnock in charge as well. It would be nice to put one over here. Would, would he throw the game... Because, you know, and concentrating the league with this unique opportunity to get promotion. Uh, and will Pep think, well, I'll make, I'll do the same, yeah, just bring in, make three or four changes. Maybe it'll be a halfway house again uh, of making a couple of changes here and there. Rest one of Ottomanian Stones. Not much you can do up front, is there? Bernardo Silva starts again. Gundogan comes in. You know, one of those where maybe Sterling comes in because he didn't play the last game. Sane rests. So I think there'll be a somewhere in between rather than wholesale changes. I'm not sure Pep will put the full-strength team out. Okay. But will they as well? Uh, I just don't know if... I think in FA Cup matches, are, you know, we know the problems of recent years. I reckon about 50% of managers uh, put out reserve size because they've got... They think they've got better things to fight for at the time. So, mm. yeah, it could be... It could be a strange game in a way. Yeah, I mean, what my worry will be that even if Cardiff do decide to to rotate, the bottom line is that, and and if you if you if you listen to what their what their supporters and what their local newspapers are saying, I mean, they are going to be the opposite of Bristol City in that Bristol tried to play football and 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 had a very specific plan for how to try and attack us. Uh, and well, yeah, okay, Cardiff have got a plan, but there's no question that their plan is just going to be a, to hoof it long and yeah. to uh, and to bypass the the midfield altogether. And in that sense, it's going to feel a lot more like one of those Premier League games where you're just playing against a parked bus or a parked plane. Um, I know it's going to sound a bit weird, but does that make us a bit more vulnerable rotation wise than them? The fact that they'll do what they do. Yeah. Yeah. It does in a way, but I think the physical style does as well because we're still not used to it. And, you know, I mentioned John Stones, so that could be something he, he could see him bringing Mangala in if that's, the, if that's their approach, is to be physical. Then it's kind of a Mangala game, isn't it? If there is yeah. such thing as a Mangala game. Uh, <laughs> but I think the style as much, yeah, they can change players and do what they do. Uh yeah, the the it'll be a it'll be a change for them uh, for our players because I don't think they'll be used to that. But again, if we dominate the ball, then it shouldn't make and we should dominate. The, I mean, really should. You can make the changes and we should still get seventy five percent possession in this game. Uh, you know, I can't see them getting much of the ball again if if we don't make wholesale changes. And for that reason, I think. 
their approach. Again, it's it's just the occasional break and dealing with that, isn't it? It's the occasional long ball down the channels uh, that they have to deal with, and he might pick his side according to that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's a different style and approach that can cause problems, and you know, as it has through time in the cup. So, I think for me that that would be a big reason to not rotate. I, I think that yeah. I'd want to see, I, I'd want to see, you know, Edison. Stones, Otamendi, Fernandinho, KDB, Silva, one of Sterling and Sane and Aguero, they all have to be there. And then that's, for me, that's the spine of our team. And and I know that Bernardo, when he's come in, has done well. And, and Ilke, when he's come in, has done well centrally. But I just think that, yeah, it's, for me, Sunday feels like the kind of game where I want to see our best 11 go out there and yeah, show how, show how good they are and put the game to bed early doors. Because again, away from home, you know, replays are a fear, man. We don't want, we yeah, don't want, no, we the do last not. thing you want is an FA cup replay. Um, and the last thing you want to do is to encourage Cardiff to give them anything to, you know, I, I've just got to be honest. Like I feel like with the Bristol city game, you know, when you see Bravos in net, rock and roll you can get you know as the opposition manager you can say to your players they've they've got a lad in net here who can't save he, he can't save shots he didn't save a single shot last season that's got to give them confidence so i just don't want to do things like that that are going to encourage the um the think, opposition do you think i'm worrying too much <laughs> it's as though you've taken over my soul or something <laughs> <laughs> Well, Bravo played against Burnley, though, didn't he? So, but I'd be if you know, it's now that Bravo's probably got himself a cup final appearance. So I agree. There's no reason to play him in this. You, know, you don't need to rest keepers. Obviously, he can get injured, but that could happen anywhere. Uh, worried? Uh, no, not over. I agree. We don't need a replay. And yes, we don't. And we know. We just know. It's just yeah. You know, repeat the same point. We're just half the team when we make four or five changes. So, yeah, I really, you know, if I see, if when that team sheet comes out and there's been four or five changes, that is going to get me slightly concerned. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. Just go for it. Uh, just go for it. <laughs> just go for it. Yes. Yeah. That, that that sounds like okay, the, uh, sounds like the right advice. Hey, listen. Um, Put it on selection- the club badge. Yeah. That's what Leeds should have had on their club. <laughs> uh, if anybody's not seen that that Leeds badge that was done in in consultation with the supporters, um, you ought to go and check it out. It's uh, it's a thing of beauty and a work of art. In, consulta- in consultation with rival supporters, surely. <laughs> oh, earth did anyone vote? Well, that was Twitter at its best. The reply, the, some of the Photoshop replies were just oh, they're brilliant, magnificent. They yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially the Geordie one in a Newcastle kit punching a horse. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, um, I I, I want to go back to uh, I want to go back to selection for Sunday and and kind of looking back at Bristol. Um, would you pick Danilo or would you pick Zinchenko at left back? Again, we're going to be attacking, so Zinchenko, I think. I mean, okay. Danilo's not. I think Zinchenko showed a bit of naivety. You know, the far post full-back covering against yep. Bristol City, but I can't see Danilo being much better, you know, physical presence-wise, for dealing with those sort of balls. 
Mm. So we've got a bit of a problem there. It's something, yeah, we'd have to be cover, you know, fellow defenders would have to keep that in mind and cover that sort of, yeah, there's going to be a lot of crosses into the box. That's what they'll try and do, isn't it? Just get it yeah. wide and put it in. Uh, and that's a problem for whoever we pick in as a left-back, I think. But again, we're going to be attacking. You know, we're going to have most of the ball in their half, you'd expect. And Chinchenko is better for that. But, yeah, there's not a lot in it, really, is there? It depends. Chinchenko has shown fatigue during games, I think. Yeah. I think he's a bit too old to be calling him a growing lad still. But, you know, he may. I wouldn't be still surprised. Only, I wouldn't... Still only 21. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> he's an adult now. He can't no, he's an adult, that's true. Uh, but probably not used to the intensity of playing football like this. So I wouldn't be surprised if Danilo came in just to rotate. Because again, yeah. He has played a lot of games in Chenkoenzi recently, so. Yeah. But uh, it, it's, yeah, we, Danilo doesn't have that attacking threat as much. So, yeah, I wouldn't surprise if Zinchenko kept his, uh, his place, to be honest. Okay. Um, Howard, will we beat Cardiff on Sunday? Yes. Yes, we will. I like that sort of confidence. I am equally confident that we I don't we will. think it'll be a classic, but. No. A, gr- um, a ground out. 2-0 win or something, 2-1. It's it's always a worry when 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 you go and read the uh the local local papers of the opposition and they're really excited about the fact that they're just not going to engage you in playing any football. They're just <laughs> going to be pumping long balls up to their forward and they're yeah. really excited about that tactic which they are locally in Cardiff. Yeah. It, it doesn't sound like the makings of a cracker does it. No. Uh, yeah, no. Warnock in charge now. Exactly, uh, but we will uh, we will hopefully get through. And speaking of Neil Warnock, if 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 anybody hasn't seen the QPR documentary that was done a few years back when Warnock was manager, um, I think it was done on the BBC. But whatever, wherever it was done, try and see if you can find it and watch it. It's absolutely fascinating insight into Neil Warnock as a manager, and also just in general what it means to be a football manager of a Premier League club because at the time it was done around the time that they uh, they were in the Premier League when they were bought by the guy who owned Malaysian Air or something yeah. like that. Do you know what I'm talking about, Howard? Yeah. Um, okay, listen, just to wrap this podcast up, Howard, I've got a very quick question for you. Um, it's a question that's come from Twitter. Uh, forgive me, I don't remember the Twitter handle of the person who asked it, but um, the question basically is there's been a mooted Aguero uh, Antoine Griezmann swap this summer. Would you yeah. take it? Bloody hell, that's a <laughs> that's an unanswerable question, isn't it? Oh, putting me on the spot. Would I take it? I'd be getting death. I'd be getting bullets in the post if I said yes to that. <laughs> oh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. That's you a don't. complicated question. I mean, if I would take it if if we accept that Aguero and Pepper never going to get on. Okay. But that yeah, that's a jump into it. We yeah, we go around in circles with that, and he's uh, scoring goals again. He's doing what he does. From a, from a football you know what? If I, if I took the emotion out of it completely, absolutely, probably yes. Because okay. he's probably going back 
Well, he's older, isn't he? Is, well, is Griezmann about 26 now? He's 26. Griezmann is 26 and Aguero is 29. Yeah, so exactly. Yes, I would if he took the emotion out of it, but you can't take the emotion out of decisions like that. That's why other people have to make those decisions. Uh, yeah, and he'd probably go back to Argentina in, what, two years? So it probably makes total sense if you look at it just, you know, call that a day. Y- yes, I probably would with a very heavy heart. Okay. But, you know, the alternative is just get Griezmann in. <laughs> would be another, you know, would surely be easier. Yeah, um, I wouldn't, to, to be perfectly frank. You wouldn't? I, I don't know, because I don't think that Griezmann's a number nine. Um, and I think he's a little bit of a... Excuse my language. I think he's a bit of a bellend. He reminds me a little bit yeah. of Pogba. He's a bit too, you know, he enjoys his social media a bit too much. He's Shampoo a bit too adverts. much. Hey? Shampoo adverts. Players yeah, always exactly. go downhill after they do a shampoo yeah, advert. Yeah, just, I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not feeling Antoine Griezmann. He, he ah. just, he, he, yeah, he irritates me in a way that, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I just don't, I don't think he's a number nine. And I think if Aguero goes, we'd have to sign a striker. Because if you think about it, like, if Aguero goes and you go and sign Griezmann, well, what happens if Gabby Jesus gets an injury? Who's yeah. going to play up top? Sterling, Sane, Griezmann? Nah. No, 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 no. I Where think, does uh, he play for Madrid? Is it just wide again? Or, well, or he behind? plays, he, he, he tends to play either, he, he's played um, as a second striker in a 4 4 2, in that sort of, um, you know, that sort of really Support. narrow 4 4 2 like Mancini used to play. Yeah. Um, he's played as a second striker in that, he's played from the right in that and he's played from the right and from the left in a front three um there will be somebody that will tell me oh yeah but you played up top once against you know Alves in 2016 or whatever it was but I don't think he's really ever played as a central striker as a lone central striker yeah um so so yeah yeah. no I, I wouldn't I wouldn't cite that one uh right Howard I know that you're on the clock as they say Manchester uh, Bay Festival later Indeed, indeed. And I know that my time with you is up um, <laughs> and you must run. So, Mr. Howard Hawking, thank you very much. And uh, Yeah, you're welcome. Hopefully, doing a, uh, a quiz podcast later for members as well. So I've got both of my fingers crossed. It, yeah, it's been, it's been uh, postponed 73 times now. So... <laughs> Something my computer will blow up one minute before we start, but yeah, everybody, everybody we live in hope. For, we live yeah, in hope. Ev- everyone pray for Howard's uh, <laughs> 9320 player quiz podcast, which he's been trying to get together for a few months now. Yeah, well, fingers crossed it'll happen today. <laughs> uh, but listen, jokes aside, to everybody who listened, thank you very much for listening. Um, if you like what we do, if you like the Sid Lowe interview. If you like the sound of a of a city related quiz, the ninety three twenty player might be the podcast solution for you. It's only four pounds a month. You get loads of content. Easy. Um, if you're interested, head over to ninety three twenty dot com and sign up. Uh, in the meantime, have a lovely weekend. Fingers crossed for a city win at Cardiff and up the Blues. <laughs>